Constitution open. Out, everyone. Pull up a chair, kick up your boots, and take a sip on a nice cold brew. It's the Quick in the Pod, the season two episodes of the Support Your Local Podcast show, uh, where we take a look at the 1995 Western comedy classic, The Quick and the Dead by one Sam Raimi. I am your host, as always, Robert T. Smith, coming to you from beautiful Tombstone. Yes, that one. Today, we're going to be taking a look at chapter 21 at the cemetery. Uh, but before we do, I uh, hear some spurs clanking down on the boardwalk. There's a shadowy figure heading up to the Batwing doors. It opens up, and it is Shizmo. Shizzy, what is going on, buddy? Hey, what's happening? Not Back much, again. Man. Fourth time, I think, right? Uh, at least. <laughs> Um, yeah, Shizzy coming back, uh, presumably from the dead. Uh, it seems With like he vengeance. comes back and can't, can't get rid of him. He's he's almost spotted horse-like. Yes. No bullets can kill me. Fortunately, not many people have tried. That is not, yeah. a, that is not a challenge. <laughs> please do not try to... <laughs> uh, no, please don't. I'm a likable fellow. I get along with most everybody. Yeah, Shizzy lives in Lima. That's, that's, uh, that's a place where those things can happen. So be careful. Be careful out there. <laughs> Uh, but Shizzy, welcome to the show, man. Great to have you back. Uh, we're going to take a look again at uh, Chapter 21 at the cemetery. But as you know by now, being your 19th guest spot on, on the show, <laughs> uh, before we dig in too deep, we are going to take a look at one of the cast and crew, one of the movers and shakers of the, the movie. Uh, this one's uh, going to be a little bit shorter because there's not a whole lot there, but the things that this guy's been in uh, are definitely memorable and have been uh, points of reference all throughout this season. Uh, one, Mr. Roberts Blossom, in a uh, segment that we like to call, Put My Damn Name on the Board. Put my damn name up. All right, we are here at uh, Put My Name on the Board. Uh, go, Shizzy, today going over uh, one, Mr. Roberts Blossom. And that name may not ring a bell for a, a lot of people watching, uh, even if you're, you're familiar with the movie. So Roberts Blossom is our doctor. Uh, he is the the creepy old man that uh, we're still not entirely sure his his origins or what his connections are to everything. Uh, but he has uh, provided us some scares and some laughs throughout the season as uh, playing the doctor of uh, of redemption. Uh, so one Mr. Roberts Blossom, and no, that's not a typo. His first name is in fact Roberts. He is he is twice the Robert that I am. Um, he is a actor, a poet. Uh, he did get a start uh, in television. Uh, this guy, I mean, he goes back. Obviously, he is an a um, an elderly gentleman, even in this movie in 1995. Uh, his first credit is actually all the way back into 1958. Uh, he was on uh, Naked City. He had been a uh, a role player on uh, the Art Carney show. So uh, those that are young, uh, younger than us, because let's face it, even guys our age probably shouldn't know this. Uh, Art Carney, uh, he's from the Honeymooners. You know, he's he was Jackie Gleason's sidekick in the Honeymooners, which was a black and white TV show that inspired the Flintstones. If that tells you how far back uh, that that goes, um, but he was pretty much just a, a bit player. He would do uh, episodes here and there of I, I 
you know, last season I, I talked about how everybody was a character actor on TVs and they were on all the usual suspects of uh, Love Boat and Fantasy Island and Magnum P.I. And, and, and all those in Columbo and things like that. I mean, he, he kind of predates even those things where I could say he was a bit character, but a lot of people aren't even going to recognize the shows that were on during that, that time. Um, some of them that do stop out, though, uh, he was on Another World. He was on Family Reunion. He was on Amazing Stories, Tales from the Dark Side, The Equalizer, uh, the, the, uh, not the Denzel Washington version. There was a TV show in the, in the 80s uh, of The Equalizer couple episodes of Twilight Zone and the Heat of the Night, um, Chicago Hope. Um, yeah, just kind of little bits, pieces there. It's not until we get into the film, and, and again, not a lot there even of things that people might even recognize. Um, Witches of Salem, uh, The Horror and the Hope in 1972. Uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, he was Wild Bill Cody. Uh, that'd be Wonderful. the first one that I would Wonderful novel by Kurt Vonnegut, I have to say. Absolutely wonderful novel of it. Not a bad movie as well. So 1972, Slaughterhouse-Five, if you not watched that, um, definitely check that out. But, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Say again, I I, I, I talked over on it. Go ahead and say it. Oh, I I don't remember seeing the movie. I feel like I have, but I I remember the the novel more. Um, Yeah. Anyways, that's all I have to say. About that. Uh, Speaking of a good novel, even better movie, uh, 1974's The Great Gatsby. But Uh, if I may interject one more time. uh, Yes. You interject more than once, sir. Before that, uh, Deranged. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie. I am not. I am not. Please speak speak to it. He played Ezra Cobb, the main character, who... Long story short, Deranged is the story of Ed Gein, so it's pretty dark. Um, It's it's uh, man, he's so good in it. He's so creepy. He played his. They changed all the names uh, in the, you know, the original Ed Gein story. It's the story. It's very effective, but they change everyone's names. So his name's Ezra Cobb in the movie, but it's really Ed Gein. If you haven't, he's actually playing Ed Gein. Yeah, yeah, he's play he and it's really it's creepy, dude. It's it's so good. It's such a it's such a weird obscure flick, but it's it does a really effective job of um telling the the, the real story of what happened even though everyone's names have been changed. Cuz you got to think that was like they made that movie a little less than 20 years uh after I think after the uh Ed Gein, or maybe just over 20 years. So, fun, macabre history, fun facts there. I'm loving it, and let me tell you, as uh, I will personally attest that if Shizzy tells you that it's a good, good horror movie, and that it's creepy, that's, that, you you can, you can take that to the bank. That is, uh, that is a certified gold recommend uh, when when it comes from Shizzy. So definitely, I'm going to now go out and check out uh, Deranged. Uh, It's not that's falling off my radar. It's not for everybody, but it really does an effective job at telling, for the most part, all all the details of the actual Ed Gein case. With some liberties, of course, but yeah. And and interesting that he would play the the main character in that. So, you know, you wonder, is there somebody that, because we'll we'll go through this where there's not, there's a couple bigger movies before we get to the, the big one that everybody knows him from. 
but who was sitting in the theaters and in, in, in ballpark 1990 uh, who had seen Deranged and loved that movie and then all of a sudden Ed Gein is popping up on the screen as, as a supposed killer makes maybe kind of wonder you know where exactly was Home Alone going to go after that you know that's a good point I didn't even think about that <laughs> Uh, 1977, we have Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, Steven Spielberg, little 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 director, little little indie film that uh, may, maybe some of you have seen uh, throughout the years. If not, definitely check that one out. Uh, we have Escape from Alcatraz, 1979. Uh, 1983, we have John Carpenter's Christine, the adaptation of the Stephen King novel. Uh, if Cars Could Kill was, I believe, the, the recommended title, but they went ahead and went with the book title. Uh, we have... Vision Quest in 1985, uh, The Last Temptation of Christ with Martin Scorsese in 1988, uh, Returns for Steven Spielberg in Always, 1989, and then as we mentioned earlier, he was Old Man Marley in 1990s, Christopher Columbus-driven Home Alone, and that's probably where 95% of you are, are recognizing our doctor from, is he is the creepy neighbor uh, who may or may not have body parts in his salt uh, bucket. Uh, in Home Alone, and now that I know what I know about Derange, thanks to you, Shizzy, uh, the the um, it, it makes me wonder even more now. <laughs> um, you know, Ed Gein should have had. Yeah. You know, I mean, you John can, Hughes probably. I mean, he didn't direct Home Alone; he produced it, though, right? And um, yes, yeah, Christopher Columbus. Like was, was saw, seems to me like he knows that movie, Deranged, and probably had a hand in it. I don't know. That's just conjecture on my part. Right. <laughs> comes in uh, 1999 he is the judge in doc hollywood the uh the michael j fox movie uh and then 1995 is actually uh his very last credit uh minus a documentary about himself um but 1995 was his very last credit with the quick and the dead so we're as doc wallace i don't know that we ever hear his actual name um but this does confirm that he is supposed to be a doctor despite the fact that he doesn't do things very doctorly um but looking at this, uh, the thing that stands out looking at this, this filmography is this man worked with the Miltons. He worked with Jonathan Demme. He worked with Steven Spielberg more than once. He worked with John Carpenter. He worked with Martin Scorsese. He worked with Christopher Columbus. He worked with Sam Raimi. This, this quote-unquote bit character, this character actor, got to work with the top of the top in regards to filmmakers like the only one i see the glaring off here that's that's missing is coppola you know like he may have been a, a bit actor in the in the background of godfather but other than that he's pretty much checked off the rest of the bingo card yeah he definitely worked with some heavy hitters some of my favorite directors too you know like sam raimi obviously with this movie and john carpenter with christine it, it, and I mean, even with Spielberg, Spielberg, like oh, Spielberg, too. Want, Toby Hooper did not make Poltergeist. I'm sorry. Steven Spielberg did. I'll, I I'll, don't I'll, know. I want to believe. I want to believe. But, but uh, with all the stories but, and things, he Steven Spielberg definitely had a huge hand in it, if not directed it right out. OK, I admit that. Absolutely. But absolutely. so like, the, the question remains, like, is this guy a horror icon? <laughs> You know, he's, he's gone through a lot of the, the most, you know, with the exception of Craven, uh, probably one of the, mo the more famous directors of, of just horror in general. Yeah, I, you know, I, I was looking through 
his filmography here and um yeah he could have uh, yeah i don't know there's not really a lot of horror movies but he's worked with some directors who who have made some horror flicks i mean the right out the straight up horror uh definitely deranged uh and christine and you could probably call last temptation of christ too <laughs> but a horror film i don't know I reserve my judgment on that one, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Only Jesus can judge me. Uh, anyway, I saw things are possible, as I told Jay last week. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so one one Mr. Roberts Blossom, like I said, he he is the Home Alone guy, uh, much like Pat Hingle is is and always will be Commissioner Gordon. Uh, no matter how many times I see this movie or I see him and other things, he he is going to be old man Marley. That, that is, that is who I'm always going to remember for. Obviously uh, no longer with us, but uh, if you get a chance, check out his, his biography. He, he led a very interesting life. He was very, very deeply involved in, in theater. And like I said, he did the bit parts in movies and, and TV, but that's really where he was mostly known for. And in his later life became more renowned in, in, in circles as, as a poet. So so yeah, if you get a chance, uh, the documentary that I mentioned, which is technically his last last credit, uh, he plays himself in a, a biography of himself in uh, Full Blossom, the life of poet actor Roberts Blossom. So uh, if you're interested in seeing more of his stuff, uh, that's definitely worth a, a check out. But I uh, just want to take a moment, uh, give props to uh, one of one of two of our, our characters that this is their their final credit. And unlike last year, where some of them, their final credit was uh, such greats as Suburban Commando, uh, I could I could be okay ending my career with uh, with the Quick and the Dead. I don't know, Suburban Commando though, it's a classic. <laughs> oh, poor Jack Elam, poor poor Jack Elam. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this has been put my damn name on the board. Add my name to the list. Add a boy. And we are back, Shizzy. Let's uh, let's jump into chapter twenty-one at the cemetery. Are you ready, sir? I am indeed. Indeed. Uh, we start our chapter with rain hitting a a cross that's fallen over, and the the camera pans over to see that we are in fact at a cemetery. Uh, the lady's walking around and she's looking for something and she stops and she looks up to see that our, our scary home alone man, one Mr. Roberts Blossom, also known as the doctor, not who, but the doctor, uh, he's, he's standing there staring at her and first off, <gasps> um, uh, but um, he, he tells her that he knew that she'd be here, which, which I, I found interesting, but he he asked if he knows who she is or she asked him if she knows who she is and he says of course he does and that he he brought her into this world and i have to ask how many people when they are they're first seeing this movie do they catch that he's referring to being the doctor that helped her mother deliver her and and how many people thought that somehow this is a aged version of her dad, Gary Sinise? Um, I don't know. I, I caught uh, that you know he was the doctor that you know birthed her. That's that's was my first uh, 
<clears throat> my first impression when I, when I first saw the movie. Um, but I can see that's a, a valid uh, question there. Although I think he might just be too old to be your dad. I mean, you would think, but you well, never know. The Old West was a rough life. He could only yeah, be 37 years old. Like 37 years old. <laughs> but I, I, I can't help you. And, and to be fair, you are of a above intelligence as, a, as an individual. There, there may be some morons out there. No offense to your morons. I love you guys, too. Um, but imagine the confusion to, to some of the people that he not only would have survived whatever altercation that she keeps dreaming about, but Herod allowed him to live and continue on. I mean, if he's the only town doctor, he's obviously a value, you know, a valuable member of Herod's town, dot, 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 but, you know, but uh, anyways, so they embrace and the doctor tells her that he knows that she's looking for the grave of her father, which, whew, you know, puts, puts that to bed. At least that clears that up. You know, they, they show, don't tell. They, they, they let people know ahead of time, just in case they were confused like I was. I mean, uh, 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 morons were, um, but uh, he tells her that her, her father's not in the cemetery. So apparently Herod and his men um, destroyed the gravestone that the doctor had made and they burned his body until there was nothing left. So apparently the the dad and the doctor were were good friends. Um, he he assures her that there there are still good people in the town they're just cowards and they're, they're waiting for someone to save him like, like herself. And she responds the way that Clint Eastwood would whenever he's told that he's the only hope. Um, and I'm just kidding. She, she balls like a baby and says that she can't do it, but um, she, she had a chance. I was going to say, I was going to say, I haven't seen that Clint Eastwood movie. But. <laughs> uh, I think it's, I think it's paint your wagon. It could be. <laughs> Any which way but loose. That's not even Any a which way he can. He, he gets much softer in the sequel. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, she she admits to being scared, which is a nice human element. But as we've been talking about throughout this movie, she's if she's trying to be the Clint Eastwood character for the Spaghetti Western, I don't know that she's exactly scratching that itch. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um I, I do want to to preface all this this bashing by by saying that Sharon Stone is an amazing actress. Do not get me wrong. Her her role in like specifically Casino, that's the one that always pops out to me, is is just absolutely amazing. And that role alone shows that she can portray sadness and crying really well and being slightly unhinged and drunk and on drugs. She does that stuff really, really well. Um, she can even fake being intimate with Joe Pesci as a, as a groundhog humping her back, but this, that's hot scars, scars, my eyes. Every time I see it, um, this is most definitely not that role, you know, of, of the things that she knocks out of the park. I don't know that I can go on record saying that she does really amazing work in, in this movie, unfortunately. Um, which is sad given, you know, the, the likes of, of Leo DiCaprio and Gene Hackman and like everybody else seems to be knocked out of the park, but I just can't. And maybe this is a, a script issue. Maybe it's a, a direction issue. I don't know, but I, I just can't land on the arc of this character completely. 
but um, the, the the old man comforts her and he tells her that she's actually scared of living and it will continue to happen if she keeps riding off, which I have to ask, what continues? Living? Because that's not really good advice then because I know that she's supposed to confront her fears and, and such to get past all this trauma, but for her to do that, he's essentially telling her to go and die. Scared of living? That's that's what she is, you know? But what 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 say you shiz? Well, I mean, if you if you're dead, you won't be scared of living no more, I'll tell you that. But <laughs> um, You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah, obviously. But uh <clears throat> you know, I think the that point you were making was, you know, she in order to live, you have to confront your, you know, past trauma or whatever head on. Um, so you're not dwelling on it. So you can continue to just to live instead of being stuck, uh, in that, in the past, as it were, you know? No, I mean, it's, that's fair. I, I, I do argue that, you know, apparently the doctor isn't very well-versed in, in trauma-informed care. You know, that's... Well, yeah, I mean, he's not a psychologist. He's a doctor. <laughs> he and, just, and that's, that's he's even debatable. Well, in birds and babies and stuff. Yeah, we, we, I mean, the argument could be made that he may not even be a doctor because he he has pronounced people dead from 20 feet away without actually yeah. checking them. He's... And, uh, I may not be a doctor, but I stayed at a, ho- a Holiday Inn Express. They didn't have Holiday Inn Express back in the West. You're a liar, doctor. Doc Holiday Express. Oh, you- I'm sorry. My, my no. mistake. All right. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so, I mean, he's like I say, he's diagnosing people from so far that on one occasion, he wasn't even correct. The guy was still living. Like, he's not quite dead yet. <laughs> I feel happy. No, you know, to be still dead in a moment. <laughs> he uh, he pulls a marshal's badge from his from his pocket and he hands it to the lady, and apparently he had pulled it from the fire that that was caused when they when they burned uh, her dad. Uh, I, and I'm assuming that they mean afterwards, because otherwise he he would have burned his hand horribly. Um, and this this creates a flashback for the lady where once again uh, we see Gary Sinise being pulled out of the building and, he, and he's strung up and this time we see the old man is actually hiding behind a fence with what we now know is a, a young Sharon Stone's character so this is this is Ellen as as a child so interesting to see that like the doctor is is bearing witness to whatever this this massive trauma that she's about to experience is um I, I do notice when he grabs her, uh, he does poke her directly in the eye when he when he's trying to cover her face, and um, she's able to to get through his fingers and see everything that's going on without really any effort to pull his hand down. So you know, great job by our doctor keeping her her safe and sound uh, there. Uh, not only does he he try to blind her, but um, doesn't successfully keep her keep her safe from from seeing everything. I, I noticed that one. I was right before we were recording. I um I was watching the clip, you know, as a refresher, and I'm like, that was very awkward, like covering her eyes. He almost poked her eye out. <laughs> it's like, it's like okay, and then yeah, he didn't try very hard to 
because she got away pretty easily to run up there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how far back the Hippocratic Oath goes, but I'm pretty Pro- sure as a doctor, he's, he pledges to do no harm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Herod uses a rifle to shoot down an American flag, and, and this finally puts to rest that redemption is most definitely in the U.S. and not Mexico. So uh, we are in Arizona. I, I feel confident enough to, to put my stamp on, on that one. The, the the marshal is standing on a chair, noose around his neck, much like court was earlier in the in the, the saloon. And, uh, you know, so no wonder the lady's looking a, a pretty flustered when that was going on earlier in the movie. So, you know, definitely probably having some flashbacks that we didn't see in the movie during that that whole scenario. Um, Herod begins to shoot out the legs of the chair and the, the young lady escapes the grasp of the doctor, which... I'm sure he was holding on to her very tight, and she had to really struggle to get out of his grasp. Dumbass. And um, she uh, she runs screaming towards the, the scene. I'm surprised she could see you, though. She almost, you know. Well, she, she's kind of like through one eye squinting. With yeah. The other one. You know, <laughs> through uh, blue tears in the other eye. <laughs> I mean, it's Raimi. He, he could have easily had bloody tears. That's, I, I, I wouldn't put it past him. And uh, Herod picks her up, and he's galloping towards uh, around holding her while the marshal is cursing him. And we flash back to the badge and the lady looking over the cemetery back into town. We we dissolve to the rain stopping, and the lady's walking down the street, but she's back in town. So uh, good news, you know she she is ready to uh, apparently go get herself killed. Um, she she stops at a bench where Herod is sitting. And coldly proclaims that she's she's challenging him. And Herod is visibly thinking of other things. And when the, the lady presses him again about the challenge, he states almost sadly that he's he's already been challenged. And we we hear a woohoo, and the lady looks back and we see the kid, Maddie Silk, and a, a small group of people approaching. And I've seen this a million times, and I always thought that the the kid and Maddie were just you know dressed up nicely because people people wore suits back then, but not out of the range of what we've seen them wear before. I mean, he was wearing something similar when he was when he was working the shop, and in doing research, I uh, specifically on quickinthedead.net. I, I know I've mentioned them a couple times. Definitely check them out. I uh, I found that the infamous wedding scene where Bruce Campbell appears was supposed to be right before this. Um, so they are they are literally coming from their wedding as he's walking down walking down the boardwalk. And that's why she was in a white dress. And I, I see it was cut out because it really doesn't do anything to the story. But I mean, we know we know that he and Maddie are kind of a thing, though vague at best on his his fidelity. Obviously, you know, things may have happened with with Sharon Stone. So I just found it interesting that this. This is where the the infamous Bruce Campbell credit is, is coming from. Is right before this part. Yeah, that's interesting. I I actually didn't know that prior to uh, listening um, to your podcast. And um, yeah, because I I seen his name in the credits when I first like when I because I I'd seen it when I was a kid and then I revisited it like a year or two ago or whatever because I hadn't seen it in so long. And um, I saw his name in the credits, and I'm like trying to remember back. Was he in the background somewhere? You know, like did I miss him? Like where? You know, 
or was it like remember that movie Intruder? Have you ever seen that? Mm-hmm. The, uh, yep, absolutely. You the you watched it with me. I think you introduced me to it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think did Scott Spiegel direct that one or? Yes. I don't know. Because yep. yep. I Ted and um, um, Sam Raimi were both in that movie actually. Yep. And then Bruce Campbell's in it, but he's at the end. He's a cop, like at the end, like the last scene of the movie. It's right. his only scene. So I was like, you know, thinking about, you know, maybe he was like somewhere in the background somewhere. I don't know. I, uh, you know, and then uh, it makes sense now that, you know, that that was a, a, a deleted scene from the original film. Yep. And, and, and to golf what Shizzy said. So for those of you who have not seen Intruder and you can get a hold of it, definitely check it out. Um, anybody that's ever worked in retail or a supermarket or anything like that, uh, really interesting kills really, really um, comes from a place where somebody that's worked in those f- facilities can come up with stuff. It was very much yeah. a inspiration slicer. for one of the scripts that I wrote uh, that, that Shizzy would be familiar with my, my vengeance script. Um, oh, yeah. Ill, ill fated vengeance script. For those that know, you know. Um, and for those that don't, you, you'll, you'll probably never know. But uh, yeah, Intruder was, was very, very heavy in the inspiration for some of the kills that, that came in that script. I like the one you wrote for me. I remember it. It's like I'm smoking a bong, and then, uh, but like underneath the bong is a gun, and it <laughs> blows my head off. <laughs> That's so oh. awesome. So yes, I admit I I I killed Shizzy in a movie. I killed lots of people in that movie. Well, maybe I killed a bunch of people in that movie. The the ending's still kind of vague. Um, but yes, so so Sean would be taking a bone rip and and set it down, and in his days he would he would accidentally grab a uh, the barrel of a gun and and go from there. But um, we we tested the splatter effect on on the wall of my house. And yeah. um, left that, it there for a long time. <laughs> it, was, we got the it, color was there, it was there until me and Jess moved out. <laughs> wow, for real? Yes. <laughs> nice. There was like that magenta colored one, and then there was like, then we finally got the right coloring yep. that looked realistic enough. That's funny. Yep. Carol syrup and uh, food coloring, just like just like Sam Raimi would have taught us. Yes. <laughs> good times. Good times. I remember killing you, Shizzy. It was good times. Yes, it was my <laughs> place. Um. So, Leo just got done last chapter professing his liking for the lady as she was storming off out of the barn, and I guess her riding off into the sunset made him decide to settle down with Maddie instead. Question mark. I. I, I don't really. I, I'm still kind of vague on the on the fidelity and the the relationship there, but poor Maddie, you know, uh, the the scene would do a bit of good to de- you know kind of delay the lady returning to town, but instead we get her looking at the town with the doctor, and boom, she's there. And I I don't know that the wedding scene with a character that we're not really following would have worked any better. So I have to say it's a good cut um, because uh, yeah, again. It's real quick, though. I noticed that, like, you know, the, all of a sudden they're coming out. They're all, like, dressed up and stuff. And you're, like, and then she does a real quick, like, fla- ring flash. Like, she flashes a ring at, at Sharon Stone's character. Like, oh, we just got married. But it's, like, real quick. Um, I noticed that. So I guess it's kind of like a blink and you miss it kind of moment. If you weren't sure exactly what was happening. 
you know, she does the little like flashes or ring, like, you know, just married, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, realistically up to this point, with the exception of her celebrating his win, she's, she's pretty much just kind of been a fan girl. Like we don't even really know that there's a, a relationship between the two. Um, you know, we we have questions on whether anything actually happened between him and Sharon Stone, but for the most part, she's not she's shown more affection and kissing and and such to him than than we've seen with Maddie. She's essentially just kind of been a sideline chick, and, and now them being married is it's I, I again I think removing the wedding keeps that more in line to where we, we, we're just not sure. Like she, she may still just be following him down the boardwalk as his, as his number one fan cheerleader, you know, set up. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I mean, I, I think it's been vaguely hinted that they are a, 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 an item. Um, and I don't believe anything happened between Sharon Stone's character and the kid. Uh, I, that's just me. I don't think it's, it's pretty intentionally, vague but i i don't think anything happened because um the kid's just kind of braggadocious by nature you know that's fair so uh that's just my uh two cents about it so so you're you're a proponent of her remembering him passing out and then that's that was just the end of it they put each other to bed and went for yeah I think it was completely innocent that's fair i i i don't disagree yeah um, the kid says it's time to find out if he's as good as his father. And it, it, it makes me wonder, uh, for those that hear that constantly in my, in my talks, it makes me wonder, um, he tells the lady that Herod's his father and he just met her granted. They kind of quote unquote, know each other at that point, or, or as we just mentioned, maybe they know, you know, know of each other biblically, you know, they've, they've, they've done love's handshake. Um, how well said (laughs) there's a story behind that one too we won't get into that on this episode but um how well known is this rumor of herod being the kid's father you know is is the kid nickname coming from people saying that herod's kid in town um you know obviously the rumor bothers herod to some degree but not enough for him to silence it what where do where do you stand on how hush hush and how just kind of open secret is this? I think it is an open secret. I think it's just one of them things where like everybody knows, but nobody talks about, you know, like small town kind of shit like that where, um, and plus they're so afraid of Herod too, that they wouldn't dare speak of it. Uh, but they all know, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like the worst kept secret, but they just, and nobody talks that nobody, that nobody talks about. They just don't bring it up, but everybody knows it. So I'll ask you this, where, because we, we had a, a talk uh, with uh, our, our mutual friend, Joey Prenzi, um, on, on his episode. Do you believe that he is, in fact, Herod's son? Yeah, I think so. I do. Okay. I don't have any, like, concrete evidence, but, <laughs> but I, I, I do believe it is his son legitimately and, and follow up on that something that joey brought up that i legitimately in the in the millions of times watching this preparing for this like writing the script for these these podcast episodes hadn't even thought of 
he proposed the the thought that the confusion on the parentage of the kid and spoiler in, in a future episode which i think is actually coming up next Herod refers to him being the farmer's son. And I guess he says it also in the in the 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 gun shop when he's getting court his gun, saying they're farmer's hands. Um I had never thought of it this way, but he proposed the thought that the kid is in fact Herod's wife's son. Like she gave yeah. birth to him. Yeah, I, I I recall that episode now. Um yeah, that's a good point because Maybe, yeah, his there through some infidelity of um, he ended up like stuck with the kid, you know, after his wife died or whatever. Well, I don't, I don't even remember what happened to Harry's wife. I, was, I assume she's dead. He yes, he he took care of a situation because she was unfaithful, and oh, and that's so. where it comes from. Of was this unfaithfulness, this farmer. Yeah, I guess we wouldn't know unless the kid was born already. Then, you know, and uh, but yeah, I don't know. That's that is a good point. Right. I wonder if he's intentionally left it vague like that. Just um, sure. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Up, yeah, up to that point, before Joey said it, and as soon as he said it, I went, wow, that like pieces started clicking. Because up to that point, I had always assumed that since he made reference to farmer's hands and all that stuff, that the kid grew up a farmer on a farm with a farmer, mom and dad, and that Herod had just either willingly to her or unwillingly to her impregnated his mom. But when he brought that up, I said, Oh wow, that's, that's a completely different spin that makes, makes sense. You know, it, 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 it ties up the pieces of the unfaithful wife and, and, and everything else on that too. So yeah, shout out to Joey, if you're listening, man, that was, that was a great, great theory that I had not thought of in, until that point. Yeah, that is a great, great, uh, good grab there. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh where's Maury Povich when you need him. <laughs> okay. Herod, you are not the father just see Herod sitting there prim and proper in his, his Western suit, just sitting there on the stage, kind of dusting off his hat. Or <laughs> our, our favorite, our, our CGI bodyguard cocking the, the shotgun in the background. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the kid and the crew walk on by and the lady chastises Herod for being someone who, that he would be someone that would kill his own son and um, that she's going to kill him if she has to ride to hell to do it. And, I'm I'm not sure that's how hell works. Um, I mean, if you're if you're there, you're both probably already dead. Depending on your religion, I understand like the Greek and and all that, where you could go into Hades and and, and I, I get that part. But for the most part, most of our our current major religions in, in the Old West, that's you're already dead when when you go to hell. Um. And even so, with, with the Greek and Roman versions, like that usually doesn't end well for those people that are able to sneak in. Spoilers for, for mythology. Definitely check out your mythology, folks. But it doesn't usually end well with them. So would she make him double dead if she found him in hell and killed him? <laughs> what a way to go, man. <laughs> you know, right? like, you're chilling in hell. You're like, man, I'm already in hell. And then some chick just walks up and blasts you in the face. Like, like 
it's already hell. How much worse are you trying to make it? And do two deads make a living? So if you kill a dead person, do they come back to life? Hmm. I think you need the Necronomicon in a cabin. Out I like in the, the way you think, sir. Back to our, <laughs> back to our theory about uh, the Bruce Campbell character being Ash Williams coming from the future or coming from the past, and and uh, Spotted Horse being the first of the Deadites. I, I stand by that theory. Boom. There it is. Drop you the mic, it, folks. Oh shit! <laughs> the mic. Um. <laughs> hey. What? So, be careful with Mike. He's a good guy. Tell him I said hi. Oh, you don't Ruffles. have to drop him like that. We miss you, Ruffles. I haven't talked to you in forever. Um, this is not the first comment like that that she's made to him. So he finally asked the the hundred thousand dollar question: like, do you have some particular problem with me? <laughs> like, what's what's your deal? And she says that I'll let you know. And why? Like, just tell him. Yeah. Well, it, it yeah, it, we your dramatic tension, you know, for for the movie. But um, um, you would think that you know, as smart as Herod seems to be, or at least savvy, you would think that maybe he, like, the thought would run through his head that maybe this is, you know, Gary Sinise's daughter. Do you think he even considered that at all? Like, I don't, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Give it away. I mean, we, we hear from, from court, like this man's done some stuff in his life. Like, is it, is it the Raul Julia in street fighter thing? Like to you, that was the worst day of your life. To me, it was Tuesday. You know, like that, does he <laughs> not even remember that? <laughs> the movie nonetheless. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, maybe he's done so much bad shit that he just does. It just, just like a Tuesday, you know? Right. And and going back to our Roberts Blossom, like speaking of what a last movie to have on your IMDb, <laughs> poor Raul Julia, Street Fighter the movie, um, he does amazing in it. Don't get me wrong. Was that his last? Was that his he, last credit? He died. He died during the making of that. Yes, that's oh. he was, was full blown cancered. Yeah, I didn't realize that. But, the movie Street Fighter, the movie, is dedicated in the memory of Raul Julia. Gosh, I haven't seen that movie since it came out, probably, you know? Well, um, for those that I've told, uh, you know. Uh, for those that I haven't, stay tuned relatively uh, soon, because um, that movie may play into some of the future plans for uh, support your local podcast. Spoilers. Um, but uh, we see the board... And the kid is listed at four to one against Herod. So by my math, the the the, the GFLA, so the, the, the Gunfighting League of America, the, the governing body of, of what's happening, their officials see the kid having as a slightly less of a chance at beating Herod as he did Gutzen. And I'm no bookmaker. I'm going on record saying that you can't prove that I've ever been a bookmaker. But you can't think that these odds are on the up and up, right? Like Gutzen, Herod. So essentially, they're, they're, they're giving the same odds, and I'm no sports star, so I'll, I'll, go, I'll go my beloved wrestling. He has the same, essentially the same odds of beating Roman Reigns, the tribal chief, 
the head of the table, the universal undisputed champion, as Rip Rogers. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Rip Rogers, yes. Me and uh, Justin Vance, we had talked about earlier. Well, Smith uh, now. he. Uh, Shout out to Justin, one of our Justin, listeners. My boy, hit me up, bro. Uh, but uh, we went to a wrestling. This is completely off topic, but we went to see some uh, some wrestling at uh, at the uh, fairgrounds here, Allen County Fairgrounds here in Ohio. Is- was this and, our beloved uh, war wrestling, sir? The no, this was. Uh, I think it's just different. Uh, the Bushwhackers were there, and uh, Rip Rogers wrestled. And me and Justin are like, dude, let's meet Rip Rogers. So we go to be like, we we see him, and we start following. Him. We're like, hey, Rip, and then he just like runs away from us. You know, like he just takes off and he's gone. He didn't want to mess with us at all. So ever the, the chicken for that. That was funny. He, but, he is and always will be the chicken shit heel. Yeah. <laughs> Even to some high school kids. Oh, this was way back. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, we were in high school. Uh, apologies to my war wrestling people. I'm, I was going to give a shout out and I still will. Uh, Tom Williams, you're, you're my man. I love me some war wrestling. Keep keep going on Lima. If you're listening and you're not attending war wrestling, you suck. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, so yeah, I, I I just don't get the the, the odds and it. So by process of elimination, because we know that we're we're running dangerously low on gunfighters. As a hand, I think there's only four left, the isn't there? At this point, what's up? I think there's only four left. You are correct, sir. So process of elimination that we know now that the lady is going to have to face court. Dun dun dun. Um, we don't get to see what the odds are for that fight. So, so given the ladies' performances to this point and court's performances to this point, what 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 are you guessing, Shizzy? What who's who's our favor? I think court's probably got the edge if you were gonna, you know, judge it by that standard. I mean, you have to, right? Yeah. We uh, we, as we we as we'll see, we'll things aren't see. always what they seem. We uh, we we cut to court, stand outside the saloon doors, and the lady approaches the door on the inside, and uh, they're talking to each other through the door essentially, and and both tell each other that I'm not fighting you. No, I'm not fighting you. No, I'm not fighting you. And it, it's cute in a sibling way, but not cute in a in a these guys just had a love scene deleted a few a little bit ago. Um, not, not like that. You know, I, I don't like those type of bickerings with, with people that have, have seen me in the nude. Um, just letting you know, anybody's interested out there. I'm not interested in that. So, um, Shizzy, I, I think this is a perfect point as, as we once again, see Sharon Stone in these goddamn doors. Uh, you, you had, uh, uh you, you reached out to me and said that you, you may have solved my, my ever present heartburn. Of starting every freaking scene with Sharon Stone going through a door. I, I give you the floor, sir. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna solve it, but I thought it was very interesting because I always, you know, she's always walking in and out of doors. It seems like it, right? And I mean, everybody does that every day, but it seems kind of odd. We didn't catch it all on film, though. In a movie, like a lot, but which got me to thinking about the symbolism of doorways and walking through doorways in art and literature and film 
So I just got f- just four quick points that I had, like. I had a little bit of downtime at work, so I was uh, just lightly researching symbolism of doorways while I was at work. <laughs> you know, you create a four-point plan. I love you so much, dude. As you do. So there's only four little points I have. Uh, the first one being uh, a Bible reference, and I thought it's kind of appropriate because we got, you know, the quick and the dead isn't that a biblical Bible reference in it itself? Is a biblical reference, yes. Plus then there's the town of redemption and there's Herod, of course, you know, King Herod. So I thought it appropriate. Um, uh, this, this is just, uh, from John 10, seven, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. That's just an interesting, um, you know, biblical reference to doorways. Um, the second point I got, um, it doorways can represent uh, transition, uh, like or trans, it can be transformational or uh, the act of becoming, um, which is interesting because you kind of see Sharon Stone's character get a little more confident. She's becoming more of a somewhat, a little more. Um, she, you can definitely tell she's going through something. You know, some some heavy stuff. Pretty, you know, changing wise. Um, a third point. Um, that, they can be used as a, t- a turning points, a point of division between one possible future and the other. And finally, um, it's uh, commonly used in films as an allegory for death and conversely for birth or rebirth. So I thought those were some interesting points of discussion for the doorway. Like I said, I, it was very... I didn't have time to like write a dissertation about it, but you know, I I did some very light research while I had some downtime and thought those were some very interesting points. So I thought I'd bring those up. And, and I appreciate it. very very good ones, very valid ones, especially the 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 walking into death and birth one. Um, so yeah, essentially every time that she's walking through a door it's usually to go out to a fight so she may be walking to her certain doom walking to her certain death i, I like that analogy there um but also yeah it's transformative too like you know she's uh yeah yeah it's all ca- kind of related really you can but uh yeah it's very interesting yeah absolutely as as she's getting ready to give up and quit she's busting open the barn doors and and, and riding out and um there's even the scene as she is afraid to to face everybody she's going through the back into the door of her room to, to cry yeah i yeah it's the it, it's there i i agree that it's there i think the unfortunateness of it is that it seems like wherever they they created a chapter and this may just be because it's the dvd chapters too that it just fell to where literally like six chapters in a row started with that so uh i I don't know if i'm not as you know despite me saying i wrote scripts for stuff i'm not a a a formalized script writer by any stretch of the imagination um i don't know if it was there in the structure of the scenes and the acts um but yeah it just it it just seemed like it fell on every single chapter heading that she's walking through a door yeah that could be coincidental but um or not i mean you know um there's, you know, symbolism, doorway symbolism has been used in literature and film for for a very long time. 
Yeah, for its, so. its whole existence. Yeah, and and for as splatterhound as people try to make Sam Raimi, like he is, he is a legitimate artist. You know, he 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 has that type of of depth into his storytelling. You just have to look past the the top level stuff that's there for the common common audience. You know, lowest common denominator stuff. And and get to the, the the more artistic side. So he he has those chops there for sure. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> so, um, court tells the the, the lady that and, and brings up a very valid point that she should just stand down and let court fight him because let's face it, he's better, and she's admitted that he's he's great. And he'll kill him, and Herod will be just as dead as if she killed him. So, I mean, is where where does your vengeance lie? Like, do you have to be the one that does it, or are you just going to be satisfied that somebody shoots him in his big stupid face? You know. And uh, it's not bad logic because Court's clearly the better gunfighter, and and, and I, I think we all agree in regards to that. But before they can agree, that Herod approaches and he puts an end to that nonsense, telling them that they will fight. And the lady tells him that he can't tell her what to do. And, I mean, Herod reminds her that if she leaves town or doesn't fight, his men will kill her. You know, it it, it didn't stop her from skipping town in broad daylight for, or, or impending rainlight, I guess. But, you know, oh, well, now now he's on alert that she, she could be a, a flight risk. So um, I found it both bold and stupid to look the the essential owner of this town in the eye and say that you can't tell me what to do. Like, well, I know what the alternative is and it's not, it's probably not pretty. Yeah. I think he also mentioned something about, you know, she could have walked away and he kind of just let her like when she wrote off, you know, that was her chance. Like he wouldn't have held it against her if she like just bailed. But now that she's back talking shit, he's like, all right, I got you. Like you uh, try to leave, you know, we'll, we'll you, get you. You said you're going to kill me. Try, bitch. I'm right here. Whatever. I do what I want. <laughs> and it, it leads to the next part, which is, is one easily one of my favorite parts of the movie. And I, I don't mean that from a misogynistic standpoint. Hear, hear me out. Um, Herod glances off to the side and he proceeds to slap her across the face with his gloves. And I have I have several notes on this. First, in doing my research, apparently that slap was completely improv by Gene Hackman. It seemed like it. That reaction seemed real. Exactly. And that is a very real reaction. Possibly the best acting of the movie <laughs> by, by Sharon Stone's character. Um, knowing that, watching it again, I dare somebody to say that that was not completely her caught off guard like you motherfucker <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, it he didn't hit her like he rear back and try to he, knock her out it, 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 it started a little bit you know but it wasn't like you know yeah. it was great like it, it, was, it was a paintbrush slap for sure but yes and, and secondly i i always <laughs> took his glance to the side as a way to divert sharon stone's attention and and think that he was done talking but as it cuts immediately to another angle to capture Stone's reaction to the slap, there is one of Hackman's bodyguards right there pulling his rifle up and aiming it at her. So 
was he glancing at the bodyguard as if to say, get ready. I'm, I'm about to slap this woman. And th- think about it. And, and finally, and you can really notice it when Stone's walking up to Herod at the beginning of the chapter. But Sharon Stone's face is visibly, and I, I have a pause here, I am not body shaming. Don't, don't, don't go down that road with me. A history down that road. But her, her face is visibly puffier. And throughout the movie, she has this very almost like chiseled jawline. But here she almost has a round face. Equally beautiful. Sharon Stone is a ridiculous, to this day, is a ridiculously beautiful woman. But I notice it every time. And I wonder, were these reshoots later on? Were these early shoots? And then she had kind of um, slimmed down on it. Like, water retention is a 1,000% thing. I get it again. I'm not body shaming. But it's noticeable that her face looks different in this just one scene. It's always bothered me. Hmm. I didn't notice that. But maybe they shot, you know, the scenes out of order. You know, so they could have shot that scene where he, where he slaps her with the gloves before, uh, like right before that other scene. Like maybe they're doing interior scenes that day, and then then and they do the interior shots. It's possible. Yeah, it, yeah, it could be as, as simple as that. As it's just the the reaction shots and and her her cheek puffed up because Gene Hackman fucking really slapped her. <laughs> yeah, I was say that was real. <laughs> And, uh, and trust me, of, of two people in this world that can can fake, you know, sh- see fake fake uh, stuff. It's it's wrestling fans like us. That was that was a work. That was a that was a shoot punch, brother. Yeah. And uh, great work by Alan Silvestri, the the composer on this, with this over the top, almost like Batmany score. As we zoom into her face, as Herod walks on. And we, we cut to the clock and a bodyguard standing on the walkway of it. And we get Commissioner Gordon. He's standing on his box and he's proclaiming that there's a there's a general hustle and bustle in the crowded street. And it's just once again, Ramey getting that that action vibe going for, for our climatic um, gunfights. And he gives us this exposition breakdown that there's there's four people left. So good math by you, Shizzy. And uh, just in case you weren't paying attention, guys, there are, in fact, four. And it's a it's a great bit of handwork from Hingle. And he's he's waving his hand, punctuating the names. And he, he waves it with this, like, little flourish. And I picture a politician of some sort just, like, pontificating. And, and he's even saying it with the, the same cadence, the blah, 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 like it. It's just a a great character. I don't know why I I get a kick out of it. I just do every time I see it. And uh, we cut inside the gun shop of the kid, and the lady's telling him that he doesn't have to do this, that everyone already knows that he's fast, and and Leo's loading his pistol, and he starts staring down into the distance, deep deep in thought. It's it's Leo's inner, inner monologue moment, you know? And he says that it's not about being fast. It's about earning the respect of his father. And... It is out of out of many of these scenes in the movie. It's a, it's a really well acted one, and it's weird to have Sharon Stone essentially playing the wife or the loved one of Leo, trying to talk him out of doing what he knows has to be done. You know, it's 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 the Adrian and Rocky right before you like, don't tell me how to be a man scene. You know, it's I 
it's 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 essentially Leo starting to become the the Clint Eastwood or the John Wayne character that he has to do what a man has to do, and it's it's a bit of a character change so quickly from her being so dead set on killing Herod herself. And it's also like, it's almost a character flip. And this is where I go back to like her arc, just not really sinking for me. Like Leo's essentially becoming the character that she's supposed to be the, the, I have to do this person. Am am I, am I like, does it make sense? Like, am am I off on that one? I, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I, I know what you mean. I think that um, she also does care for the kid, doesn't want to see him get killed, and she wants to kill Harriet herself, you know? Um, so she'd may, maybe just be trying to talk him out of that because she wants to, wants him for herself. Uh, and also she does care, that, and she doesn't want to see the kid get hurt or, or killed. Right. And and that that harkens back to to my earlier one of like we don't know how much time has passed. It couldn't have been too much, but like this is essentially assumably the same day as the wedding. Why is she standing in the shop talking to this now newly married man? Like where's Maddie Silk in this? Where's she trying to talk him out of these things? You know, I, I know that we she's not a character, so we she can't have that dialogue, but like we're just further muddying the waters in regards to the 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 leo maddie silk lady love triangle i guess yeah, and, uh, yeah. or he's like all right woman get in the kitchen make me sandwich <laughs> i don't know that's so bad <laughs> hey man is, different times were different back then man. Times, times are 100 different as as pat hingle said whores in the back um and uh, anyways, uh, what purpose does it serve talking him out of it? Like, we literally just 10 seconds ago heard Herod say that no one walks out of the contest or they will be killed. So sure, there's this ambiguity of Leo being his son, but in theory, he's about to kill him in combat anyways. So what, yeah, it, this this whole part of the scene has always bothered me every time I see it. I, I, I don't know, but she... She asked him what he could possibly get out of this and what could he want. And while while I'm I, I get it's a script point so that they can say that he's doing it to get the love and admiration of his father. Like I I, I get that. Let's not forget that there are $123,000 in 1800s money at stake here. So what yeah, if, no what shit. He could probably like, the town too, then you know. Right. And, and that's the other thing too. Is like if if what he says is true. The opportunity to be the next goddamn mayor, his his exact words, is right there. So he's got all of that going for him. So it, that's not bad for a newlywed in the old west that's already a shop owner. You know, like her asking, like, what can you possibly? Do? I don't know. Uh, like six million dollars in today's money, and <laughs> I get to run the town. Up, uh, what? And I still get to bang you on the side, supposedly. <laughs> like, that's okay. conjecture, but <laughs> yeah, allegedly. Allegedly. And um, we get the beginning of the guitar theme as the, as the crowd cheers on the kid coming out, and he sees the admiration, and he he removes the sadness from his eyes, and he turns on his character. Definitely, definitely like a switch. It's it's a nice little touch, and uh, something I can I can respect from a wrestling standpoint, being able to turn that on on and off like that. We 
we see literally everyone cheering on the kid and, and even Maddie Silk proclaiming her love. And it, it pans over and we see his destiny standing there at the end of the street as, as Herod already there, ready to go. Just point that out, Sharon Stone's character, that these guys are on time. Just saying. Um, <laughs> they're a little early. They're, I mean, they're early, dude. Like they, they know what's up. They're, pro- they're professionals, Sean. They're professionals. <laughs> and we, we end our scene with a wide shot with the, the kid on one side and Herod on the other. And uh, Pat Hingle's on his little platform standing next to the doctor. And uh, that's that's where we leave off. Uh, uh, Shizzy, what's you, you got any parting thoughts before we, we jump balls deep in, into what's coming up on our, our finale of the last couple couple chapters? Um, I started formulating this thought while, while you were talking about, um, about the kid and Herod, uh, their relationship. I do ramble. They, they might, (laughs) no, it's all good. Um, they might be, um, they might actually be father and son, but somehow like Herod just like disowns him and just to kind of you know, dig a little deeper, a little deeper jabs at him, calling him like a farmer's son or something. You know what I mean? Like to let him know that he, you know, he does disowns him. He doesn't claim him as his as his actual son. Do you know? You know what I mean? I, I, like, I do. That's 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 definitely something that he would do, and it's 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 a perfect not, time to bring that up. Yeah, and I'm not taken away from uh, from Mr. Joey Prinzi's, uh uh, theory, which is very valid, um, but there, you know, there's just a thought that you know he would say shit like that to, to the kid, you know, just to dig at him, right? Because he's that yeah. evil of a bastard, you know what I mean? One thousand, one thousand percent. I, I would even argue that, and I agree. Like I, I, I do believe Joey's theory. I also believe my own theory. I think they both are valid. Um, because we don't know the answer. And I think that ambiguity is what makes it a, a beautiful thing. But like, I would even argue that even if Herod knew 1000% that he was the dad, that he would still needle him that way. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, per- perfect timing on that. All this, all this father's talk. So if you're listening to this as it drops, uh, it is literally father's day. So um, perfect, perfect timing to, to have a nice little talk about uh, that as, as uh as Herod is is our uh, shining example, anybody can be a dad. It takes a real man to be a father. But anyways. <laughs> yes. He's not a stepdad. He's dead that stepped up. No, that would be Sharon Stone's dad because he was on a chair. Okay. He, he, he stepped up onto that chair. We still don't know what happened to him, though. Okay, that's bad. I'm going to um, go now. <laughs> my, oh, no. Does your planet need you again? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I hear the federales. Uh, anything else? Is? That's for that joke. Cause it was so bad. <laughs> your thoughts, sir. Uh, that's all I got on that one. Awesome. So, uh, Shizzy, where, uh, where can people find you? What you, what you got coming up? Well, like I said, this is going to drop uh father's day. So this is coming up Sunday. Uh, yeah, um, well, we're uh, we we are uh, my band Murder Cabin. We are playing a show on Friday, the twenty third of June. Um, okay. Firehouse, 
me, uh, Murder Cabin and the Brad Allen Jones band. Shout out to um, both. Shout out. And, uh, yeah, so that's going to be a fun time. That's all we got really got booked right now. I know the Brad Allen Jones band's a little busy. They're doing, uh, they're doing a few dates. Um, and our bass player in, in my band, Murder Cabin, is their bass player. So it's cool. Um, we'll we'll get some more gigs going uh, here pretty soon. But that's the only thing we got on the docket right now as far as uh, music goes. And so speaking, uh, speaking of shared parenting, you guys you guys have joint custody of your drummer. Uh, bass player. Or bass player. Bass player. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, if you you can follow uh, Murder Cabin at Instagram at Murder underscore Cabin or find us on Facebook. Um, uh, yeah, if anybody is interested in following me on Instagram, it's just Shizzy O'Neal, all one word, S-H-I-Z-Z-Y-O-N-E-I-L on Instagram. Um, or don't follow me. I don't care. <laughs> are, are you yeah, nagging it's people into doing it? I'm sorry? I said, are you nagging people into doing it by by saying that? No, I don't. I, I don't care. You can if you <laughs> It doesn't matter. I'm not that. I don't post very often. Sometimes I do, but not very often. But uh, do, to be fair, that's that's usually when you do post is when you have uh, some of your concerts coming up. So definitely follow Shizzy on that. Um, definitely check out both those bands. Uh, both of those uh, will be in the the show notes as usual. Um, so definitely check those guys out. Yep, definitely. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, was, this is a blast, man. I I always enjoyed uh, talking with you, my friend. Yep, me too, brother. If even if this was not a podcast, just being able to sit here and uh, shoot the shit with you for a little over an hour is 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 always gold for me. But I, it's great that we get a chance to talk about this and and get you on here. I, uh, for those listening, you want to hear more Shizzy, um, hit him up on his social medias. Let him know down in the comments of whatever random post that you want to put on. Uh, let him know that we want Shizzy on a podcast. I, I've been trying to. <laughs> Uh, tweak his arm as best I can. But, I'm uh, thinking he, about he to fans. I don't know what it's going to be about. I, I don't know yet. I'm I'm really just thinking about it right now, but it, it would be fun to do, I think. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm still not making any moves on it yet. I, I really want to just digest it and think, think about what I want to do. But because the more I think about it, the more I think it would be pretty, pretty fun project to do. Yeah, it's absolutely a blast, man. I, I can attest to that. But yeah, you you heard it straight from him, guys. He wants everybody to text him and let <laughs> him know that he he should be on a podcast. Oh, right. right. No. Definitely do that. Uh, uh, all right, Shiz. Well, thank you again for being on here. Uh, for us, if you guys have not already, please, 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 as always, um, like, share, and subscribe to our social media. We are Support Your Local Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback, anything like that, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, either comment on, on some of our posts there, or you can email us at SUP, that's S-U-P-P, your local podcast at gmail.com. Uh, please take a moment to rate and review us. Uh, we would love some five-star reviews. Uh, you can put whatever you want, whatever bullshit you want in the actual review. Uh, just make sure you hit those five stars. That's when it really matters. Uh, but uh, it's absolutely free. This podcast is absolutely free. I want to continue doing that. Um, and the best way to do that is to get us moved up in the algorithm. Let, let other people know that we exist. Get our soothing dulcet tones in their ear holes. Um, but 
until we meet again next week, folks, I think next week, let me look at my notes. Yes, it is uh, chapter 22, Kid versus Herod. Uh, so we are fastly, fastly approaching the the end of the train for this uh, for this show. Uh, we will have some announcements on our social medias coming up in the next few weeks, letting you guys know what to expect in the next season. Uh, some big Big, 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 big things in the works for the uh, the Support Your Local Podcast Network. So uh, until we meet again, folks, I love you as always. And thank you for always support your local podcast. Yeehaw.